apologies for the uh, lack of intro music for this podcast, folks. Uh, for a second consecutive week, I am stranded in uh, upstate New York, back home in Albany, because of the uh, Southwest cancellations. I am supposed to be back by New Year's Eve. So if you are um, concerned, you can feel free to send me a tweet. But I am just chilling in, uh, chilling in upstate New York. Therefore, I don't have my computer where I usually do the editing of this podcast. So we are low tech today. But still, guys, I don't think you listen for the editing. You listen for uh, the ticks and uh, the we do want very a, strange opinions. We do want a minute-by-minute breakdown of your Southwest debacle. Oh, there's no debacle. I mean, honestly, I'm like, I'm, I don't really care. Um, I was supposed to go back from Albany to Chicago on the 29th, which is the day we're recording. Um, my flight got canceled. Um, like two and a half days in advance. Like I woke up, I think oh. on the 27th and was like, was like, yeah, you're canceled. And I was like, okay, when can I rebook? And it was like New Year's Eve. And I was like, I'll take it. So I'm just chilling at home. I used that opportunity to go to UConn versus Villanova last night, which was very exciting. Um, I was going to spend that last night with my family before heading back to Chicago. But instead I was like, all right, I've got more nights. I will gladly go watch college basketball. So I have no issues. People who have many, many people have much bigger Southwest issues than oh, yeah. I do. I've been People surprised. Stuck for like more, five days. Yeah. I've been surprised. There haven't been more like college basketball issues with it. Like Vermont canceled the game. And like, I saw Keyshawn Gilbert was like delayed getting to San Jose last night for UNLV, but otherwise everyone's been okay. I saw, um, Nevada's Southwest flight got canceled. They had to do a charter. Yeah. I New think Mexico, I, I think did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But not the end of the world. I'm doing quite well. Uh, but I don't know if I'm doing quite as well quite as well as Brad is right now because we are recording moments after Providence blows out Butler on the road at Hinkle, knocks it out of being a potential Q1 game in the process. But the Friars are three and zero in the Big East, uh, so Brad, I'll, I'll give you the floor before we get into the rest of the show and let you uh, either talk about how excited you are about the Friars or rain on everyone else's parade. Well, I mean, first with with a meta take here, people, I mean, it is quadrant season. Everyone is all quadrants all the time. The quadrants really don't matter. Like, if you had to pick the NCAA tournament at large field with just, like, records and knowing who beat who, and none of, like, you didn't, you weren't given any, um, any criteria from the selection committee, you, you would differ from the bracketologist breaking down quadrants and road this and net that. You would differ by, like, three teams at most. You know, quadrants, they're, they're used for the justification, really. But for, you know, for the, and then people get all worked up about, oh, quadrants are stupid because Providence beats Butler and then knocks Butler to a quadrant, too. But the whole, the whole point is the, the, the tournament is picked, in theory, when, when all the games are played. We know that um, there are games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of championship week that the NCA committee does not care about. They don't watch. Yeah, they're mailed uh, in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, you could probably infer because they're not going to, like, update the nets on the fly. You know, like, oh, we 20 minutes ago we had Kentucky versus Creighton in an 8-9 game, but now because Creighton just beat Providence in the 4-5 game, now their net is high, we can move them to the 7, you know? They're, they're not doing any of that. But anyway... On Providence, um, I mean Butler is the perfect matchup for Providence because they're unathletic. Outside of Bates, they're small, and they don't shoot very well. 
because um, when Providence lost to TCU, TCU is big and athletic, really didn't let Providence get into any of their stuff. Yuri Collins for St. Louis, Isaiah Wong for Miami got wherever they wanted um, and dominated and scored all these points to knock off Providence. But, uh, I mean, Butler was like a dream matchup for Providence, and they came out strong in the first half and took advantage. Um, Butler really never had a chance. And even though the second half was some gross, disgusting basketball, uh, when when you're up 28, I guess we'll give you a pass. Yeah, my take on this game is this. Um, Butler is not quite as good as I thought they would be. They're much better than the metrics said they would be. But there was a middle ground, and that's where they appear to be. Uh, <laughs> the big thing that's really holding them back, I think, is, is the point guard play. Eric Hunter has continued to struggle. I know Lucas Harkins kind of suggested maybe they should go to more Chuck Harris on the ball. Um, Chuck today was um, had a plus minus of zero in his, I believe, 28 minutes, and they lost by 20. So that's a good indicator that Chuck is not the problem. But, uh, yeah, uh, Butler just needs more dudes. And Providence has better better players um, and one on the road in convincing fashion. 3-0 in the league is a, is a, is a big deal. The win over Marquette is a really nice one for Providence. Um, and obviously now a, ro- a couple of road wins that, you know, will not be could, – could end up being sneaky Q1. Certainly will not be worse than Q2. Um, so I would not be super, super worried about where Providence stands. They're probably solidly an NCAA tournament team. Um, they look the part, certainly, and I think – uh, obviously, I tweeted about this during the game, but watching these transfers, I know maybe Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter will have NBA features down the line, but they certainly aren't kind of one-and-done guys. When you get multiple years with a Bryce Hopkins, with a Devin Carter, I think that really needs to start shifting the way we perceive some of these transfer additions because those guys are really good already, uh, and they are only going to get better for, for, for this Providence team. They've really changed – I think the outlook, I mean, Devin Carter has been better than I expected. Hopkins has been better offensively than I thought he would be able to be uh, right away. Uh, Croswell has made the jump I think you would hope for. So Providence is in really good shape, Brad. Absolutely. Carter, the way he started the game, I mean, that's that's just what he does. Um, every game, like times 10, just flying at the rim at full speed, getting some steals, getting some runouts. And then he hit a couple jumpers, which uh, have been very hit and miss this year. He's taken some tough ones, as he did tonight as well, especially in the second half. But, yeah, great win there. Carter and Hopkins, if you – know, this 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 was a great Hopkins game for Friar fans because after that 29-23, and then I saw Adam Spinella, the, um, the draft, uh, NBA draft Twitter person, put, put out an article about like the emergence of the strong four – like your Grant Williams, Jay Crowder type. And, you know, you're like, oh, geez, could this be the only year of Bryce Hopkins? But um, it, it, in a weird way, it was nice for him to come back to earth tonight. Maybe we'll get another year out of him. Had to, yeah, got to get, get two years from, from Mr. Mr. Hopkins, but nothing else. Um, it does kind of lend questions about the Big East as a whole. I was at Villanova versus UConn, which seems a good game for us to chat about. And then we can talk about a big picture with Xavier now 3-0. UConn also 3-0, obviously, along with Providence. Marquette is 2-1. Uh, they've been really good. Creighton looks much more like themselves uh, after, obviously, the six-game losing streak. Uh, and even Villanova is starting to turn around a little bit. But, you know, starting with that UConn-Villanova game, I thought um, 
you know, I went, the atmosphere was awesome. I mean, the Yukon fans at the XL center really turned out, they were like lined in the streets 90 minutes before the game, just like a very special fan base and very special college basketball state um, that I don't think people realize anymore what it's like. And obviously um, things have been up and down in the post old biggies, post Jim Calhoun era, but I mean, the energy was just unreal for for that contest. And I thought Villanova played really well at points, right? They're still not necessarily the most talented team. They still really lack that ball handling point guard, um, point guard play. A lot of their offense. I mean, I was sitting next to Brennan Quinn from the athletic uh, at the game. We just talked about the game. I was like, it just takes them so much effort. Villanova does to, to get anything good offensively. Like they'll occasionally get like the drip, you know, the dribble out of guy and get the back cut. But the days of just like walk into a post up, pass, 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 wide open three, those are dead, right? This team doesn't move the ball like that. They had seven assists in this game. Um, you know, they they did a few different things to try to get matchups that they liked, but for the most part, it was ISO ball Dixon, ISO ball Daniels. Um, and a couple of slashing moments from Cam Whitmore. So I, I think UConn, I think Villanova is starting to look a little bit more like a tournament team, but they've got a lot to gain, a lot of ground to gain after what they did in November. Um, you know, already now six losses on the season. It's just, you know, it's going to be uphill battle, I think, unless they can steal one against UConn at some point to get that kind of resume topping win. And I thought UConn was okay. Not great. It was the worst I'd seen. I obviously saw them in Portland for three days. I thought they were worse than any of those games. Um, Villanova did a good job defensively, um, you know, really packed the paint, dared guys like Andre Jackson to make shots. Jackson did make two threes, but I think it was a, a fruitful game plan. It's one that I think people will try to replicate. And I thought down the stretch, there were just some moments. I know Jackson at the three, uh, to push it to a seven point game with like two and a half to go. But Brad, I just felt like when you looked up and your lineup was like Diara Newton, Jackson, Caravan, Sonogo, and they're packing the paint like they were and denying Sonogo touches. The lack of a guard that you really trusted to just go get a shot was concerning. Even Hawkins, I mean, as good a shooter as he is, is not a guy you just roll the ball to and say, go get one. They don't have that kind of scoring point guard that you want. Not everyone does, obviously. Um, but I think that's one the one thing that they do miss on this roster. And I thought they felt that against Villanova in the second half. But I mean, I, again, a very impressive, I, I thought, performance to, you know, win against a solid team when Sonogo didn't play well, when Clean was quiet, when they weren't able to impose their will uh, on the interior to still find a way to win. But I thought maybe some holes offensively that we hadn't seen in the past from Aussies. Yeah, and, you know, when we spoke on UConn right after they won PK-85, we said, you know, this is the best team in the country, but to quibble is they don't have an elite point guard. Um, and I still don't know if that's a, a real difference maker um, because they move the ball really well and they have guys like Andre Jackson and Hassan Diara who can you know play the point, handle the ball, um, and, and are really good on the defensive end, try to balance that out. And like Tristan Newton has had some very strong games this year. Um, so I don't know how much of a concern that is, but I, I guess... Think, I think the way I would put it, Brad, is it's like, and we've talked about this in the context of other teams in the past, it's great that, like, Joey Calcaterra is, like, the best ninth man in the country, right? It's great that Hassan Diara can come in and win you a game. But in March, 
it's nice to know, like, yeah, here's the guy. When, you know, shit hits the fan, here's our guy. And UConn doesn't really have that other than Sonogo, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Haw- Hawkins has some crazy shots running off screens, but yeah. Yeah, but again, he's not a guy, he's not a, he's not a ball handler. No, no. The, the design of this team, even back from the preseason, was... Hurley was saying, we need more space around Sonogo. We're going to go four around Sonogo. Um, so, so really, it's, a, it, it's an inside-out team. Um, yes. But, you know, you, especially in the preseason, we have made comments like that. You know, like the, um, oh, Calcaterra is the best ninth man in the country, but, like, how much does that really move the needle? Uh, I, I think the fact that UConn is playing these nine guys kind of a lot. Yes. You know, like, Calcaterra... Pl- plays a lot more than most ninth men. Um, and, and there are games where Kakatera, like the Georgetown game, where he's playing more. Diara played a ton last night. Uh, it made a huge impact. The fact that they can kind of use that bench not only as a second unit, but also as like a bullpen. And you can play four starters with really any one of these guys, except um, Klingon and Sonogo don't, don't play together. But the fact that they're really using this depth um, and, and they're still there's still a roster hierarchy, right? It's not like Seton Hall where I, you know, we, we were talking the other day that they have seven or eight fifth best players. UConn has a hierarchy. They just have like a really good bench that you can plug in there and you can play Naheem Aline, you can play Hassan Diar d- d- down the stretch and you're not losing anything. What did you think of Villanova? I thought they looked better. Yeah. Um, it, it, really, it really came down to Cam Whitmore in, Angelo Brizzy and the two minutes of Trey Patterson and Nana and Joku out. And and Brendan Housen less. Right? Just putting Whitmore in instead of any one of those four guys. Turned Even though Whitmore Vi- hasn't been very good. Right. Turned Villanova into like a tournament caliber team. Now the issue is because of the Ryan Kalkbrenner stuff and because of the Cam Whitmore stuff, Villanova and Creighton's metrics don't match their 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 caliber of play and you you can say the same thing about Providence's slow start and at, at at the bottom you can make the claim that you know Georgetown should be 130 not 230 uh, but at the end of the day you know that stuff's gonna hurt the conference and it looks like it's gonna hurt Villanova the most because it's not gonna give them an opportunity to really claw their way back in the tournament picture they they need hurt. like they need all the stars moons planets in the world to align in order to get back. Yeah, they're going to have to steal probably two games that they have no business winning to get through. And they had an opportunity, I thought, against UConn. There were some there were, there were were some chances to take it, and they just couldn't quite. I do think they're still limited defensively. They've really struggled on that end. They were much better. I thought that was really the biggest difference for me was they did a great job kind of building a wall and making it difficult. I saw a, a – I don't know why this timing worked out as well as it did, but I saw a, like an instructional video from Jay Wright um from several years ago probably 10 probably a decade old at this point maybe even older um and it just resurfaced on twitter the other day and it was ta- jay wright talking about how we want to start all of our offense right within like right next to the arc and we want to push teams out and don't allow them i think he referred to it kind of like the scoring zone we don't want anyone to, to be able to initiate their offense from inside the scoring zone and i thought that you could see some of those principles 
where it just felt like UConn had to do a lot of their stuff deep out on the perimeter. The ball was never getting they, – they were never touching the paint. They did a better job in the second half, but UConn still took 33s out of 53 field goal attempts. Like, that's not a number that I think you really want as a recipe for, for UConn, and I think for most teams, right? Like, you don't want to be taking 57% of your shots from three. Um, so I think that's – you know, that, that was a little bit concerning – um, but I thought a better effort because this team is not built to protect the rim, right? Like Eric Dixon is sturdy. He's very thick, but he's not, uh, you know, a rim protector necessarily. And so because of that, um, they do need to be able to, you know, they, like they, they need to be able to push you off the spot, right? They're not going to let, they can't let you catch it on the block. They did a better job of that. So, uh, yeah, I thought they looked solid, but you know they're still not overwhelming by any stretch. I'm not like, wow, this is a top 25 team. It's just a matter of time. Like, I, they're still flawed. Um, like, like I think they're still worse than Xavier. I still think they're worse Absolutely. than Providence. I still think they're worse than Marquette. Like, they're now the fifth best. They're what the fifth best team in the league now. Six. Because yeah. UConn, Xavier, Providence, Marquette, Creighton. Yeah, it's five. Um, they're better though than St. John's. They're better than. Uh, obviously the bottom, which has been much worse, right? Seton Hall has been worse than expected. DePaul has been worse than expected. Although the injuries contribute to that. Um, where do you, it's how really do you like upstairs, on? downstairs in the Big East with Villanova yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, they're stuck. Um, where do you stand on Xavier? I know they were very good against St. John's uh, the other night. Um, yeah, I, I watched that that whole game for the most part. Um, the all-access? Yeah, I'm a sucker for the all-access. <laughs> Uh, the uh, first one they did was, I believe, t- January of 2019. It was Providence and DePaul. Um, yeah, so this must be the third or fourth year of them doing it. Um, yeah, it seemed like some people hate it. I don't. I, I think it's an interesting changeup. You know, my favorite part was seeing the St. John's fans pissed that the uh, game showed how like shitty their facilities are. <laughs> Like they went in the locker room and it was like, wow, this locker room stinks. I I saw people saying Anderson like wasn't making any sense. Yeah, people were saying that like Anderson was clearly being out coached by uh, Sean Miller during the game. I I couldn't watch, but I thought it was out of Yeah, I, I mean there's there's a camera there. I, it's not. A, I I wouldn't put too much stock into that, but I mean we we know Sean Miller is very coached on Mike Anderson. Like that's not. Yeah, like statistically we can prove that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not breaking news. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> St. John's obviously playing a thousand miles an hour, and Xavier just punched him in the mouth, and then they were up by like 18 or so. St. John's clawed their way back with some good play, but it's just they just play so fast, they waste so many possessions, um, and the the lack of shooting is apparent. Pasha's taking a step back, it seems, um, and then Curbelo and David Jones are just just wild players. You can tell Mike Anderson hates David Jones. There was one possession. Where David Jones just took like 30 dribbles, and Mike Anderson was just like, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. This, he said it like after every dribble. And there was one where David Jones took this crazy three-pointer, and he's like, oh my god, man, what what are you doing? The crazy <laughs> thing is that funny. Soriano has made the huge jump, like way bigger jump. Like we thought he could improve, but he has been like unreal for them. And it hasn't really moved the needle. Like bottom line for this group. Well, the no, because like Wuzu didn't make a jump. Curbelo's fine, but Posh got worse, and it, yeah. the whole style of play is just 
it's really it's high floor and really low. It's, it's it's super high floor, low ceiling basketball, and it's why the first year of Mike Anderson, when all of a sudden they're relevant, you know, in the first two years where they're, they're competitive, you're like, wow, look at that, you know, Mike Anderson's doing a great job. But like when you go from 66 to 69 to 55 to now 60 in Ken Palm, that's just who you are, right? And that's not the stand. That's not what people what what people expect at St. John's, and it's not going to be made easier by the fact that Rick Patino is coaching at Iowa. And clearly, like likes living on Wingfoot. You think uh, St. John's or Georgetown for Rick Patino? It should be Georgetown. It's like it, it, it's it's destiny at this point. It needs to be Georgetown. Um, but yeah, St. John's St. John's looks like an NIT team again. Um, they've got the yeah, they've got a huge stretch coming up. Three games is uh, at Seton Hall, home Marquette, at Providence. Probably need two of them to have any hope. The uh, at Seton Hall game, which is on Saturday, I believe, that is like a loser lose town game. Yes. 0-3 Seton Hall, 1-2 St. John's. That game is going to be a rock fight and a half. Yes. And like honestly, both both teams have basically already left town, if we're being honest. But probably. Um, we don't want to overreact too too much though. After that game, that's a check check the message board of the losing team game. Yes. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Uh, I've just been enjoying the, the 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 Shaheen Holloway uh, comments like after every game where he makes it just so very obvious that he hates his team, but then also like every so often reminds everyone that he has no NIL, so he has no way of like replacing the team. It's very entertaining. Yeah, when when they cut into the huddle against Marquette, he said something like, like "Fellows, like we're playing soft or something." And I think the, he called them immature. Yeah, like, the way he said it in the huddle, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of harsh for." Uh, <laughs> Your team and being on camera. Shaheen seems to say a lot of the stuff that all the coaches think, like to the media. I mean, obviously the in huddle stuff, I don't know, but like it seems like in the hu- like in the post games when he's like, yeah, this team is, you know, this, this team stinks. Like that's stuff that like coaches call me and say, but not stuff that they say publicly. Yeah. You know? And you know, I, I don't think it is uh, beyond the realm of possibility for Seton Hall to figure it out in years to come. Like a lot of these guys oh. have eligibility left. Sure. And even without NIL, like if if you're gonna double down on this toughness thing and you're, you're gonna take the right transfers who, um, you, you know, find the Alondas Williams of 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 the world, I I think it's doable. Shaheen can coach. Yeah, we should not be like writing the obituary on this thing already. But like, there are some concerns here offensively, given that was the the issue when he was at St. Peter's. So. Probably enough enough Big East talk because Brad, we have a score update, a final score update that is eyebrow raising and worth discussing. So I love this podcast because when we do it during game night, Central Michigan has upset Michigan, 63-61 the final oh, oh. Uh, on a made three with 10 seconds to go by a fellow by the name of Reggie Bass. Reggie Bass. I actually wanted him at Providence. He's someone who was like, he cut his list like so early. Like he cut his list like, I think during the season of his junior year. And it was like Illinois, Providence, Kansas State, I think Oregon State. And I just watched one video. And he's like a lefty scoring guard. And I was like, you know what? We could use one of him. Uh, Let me sign up. Let's let's just sign him up. 10, 4, and 3 on 33% shooting from the field. But 
Slade, I, Michigan tonight. As a freshman, but he was a, he was committed to Illinois. Correct. Correct. Was was my point. Then they added a bunch of freshmen. He gets kind of edged out. He's off to Central Michigan, and now he hits a game winner against a Big Ten team. Central Michigan now five and eight on the year. Its other wins so far this season are someone something against Alma College. I don't know what that is. Um, Eastern Illinois, uh, Cal State Northridge, and non-division one Purdue Northwest. So, esteemed company for the Michigan Wolverines. You dropped seven and five. Michigan had been kind of walking this tightrope where they were losing all the games that mattered, but it was kind of and not looking that great in a lot of the games that didn't matter, or or or, or not looking that great in all the games that were against by games, but they were winning those and it was fine. Now it's officially not fine. They're seven and five. Um, their best win in the non-conference was Pitt, which is actually aging like fine wine. Um, For, but regardless, they played Eastern Michigan to five points, Ohio to four points, Jackson State to ten, uh, Lipscomb to eight, and now they lose to Central Michigan. Michigan is clearly playing down to its competition. Uh, they are by far not a tournament lock. I mean, at this point. I think they're probably you'd lean that they're a team that plays on the first day of the Big Ten tournament, bottom four. Yeah, um, which feels like crazy, right? It does, but they but they lost their point guard, and when he was there, they were still you know they kind of struggling the with these five game teams. Um, but that's that's what bubble teams do, right? Is they have a couple nail biters in the non conference uh, in, in these by games, but then they figure it out. And what do transfer point guards do? They suck at the start of the season, and then by the end, they go, wow, this guy's actually pretty good. Um, like we saw last year with, with Devante Jones on, on, on Michigan. But yeah, it, I, I think you got to take Penn State o- over Michigan right now. Yeah. Um, so Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, That is that your first day? Is it just four teams? Probably, yeah. But like... Are we sure? Like, are are we sure that they're not worse than Northwestern? I, I think mean, no, they are. I, I think they're better than Northwestern. Everything says every, everything about them says they should be. I mean, Northwestern's talent levels is not very high. I, I agree, but they're getting it done. But there's a good chance that after tonight, Northwestern's gonna be higher than Michigan and Ken Palm. If if they aren't already, I think that they were higher in T rank. They um, were coming into the day. And then Northwestern drops some spots by playing with its food against Brown. Uh, but Michigan will drop more by losing as 21-point favorites against Central Michigan. Yeah, don't, don't, don't play Brown. I, I've learned that lesson the hard way. Um, Brown, Brown was tough. But yeah, from, from a broader perspective, like, okay, Michigan is certainly in trouble, especially after losing tonight. But it seems like it is a death sentence to play these bye games. Uh, either bef- just before Christmas or just after Christmas. Um, These it have seems been like real slops. Yeah, they've been super sloppy. I I took my first eliminator strike last week when Ole Miss lost to North Alabama. What a disastrous uh, loss! I think LSU had a close one. Um, Wake Forest needed a buzzer beater to beat Appalachian State. I mean, all over the place. These 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 bye games have been gross. And it is funny because 
I was literally this was a couple of days ago. I literally had the thought in my head. I, you know, I, I was speaking to myself in my brain that yeah, Kevin Willard did whine a lot last year, but like he's he's definitely a better coach than Shaheen Holloway, and it was kind of silly that we kind of shrugged that off. Um, it was like it's just the whining. You know, it's like every day it felt like he was whining about something. I literally go on my phone. It's like, oh, Kevin Willard says the, the Big Ten can't win championships because the conference commissioner doesn't know how to schedule. But he is a great complainer. I mean, with these buy games, they, I mean, they've they've cost the Big Ten how many spots in the analytics, not to mention the bad losses. Yeah, the the, the Big Ten has had like a low key disastrous couple weeks. Michigan loses that horrible game. Iowa loses to Eastern Illinois in the biggest upset in um, basketball history. Betting <laughs> history. Uh, and then they get worked by Nebraska. Uh, Illinois is falling off a cliff. Uh, you know, who knows what Michigan State is. Uh, Michigan's obviously in trouble, right? Like, this, uh, Indiana loses Xavier Johnson. Like, I don't think it's a lock that Indiana finishes over 500 in the Big Ten um, by any stretch at this point. Like this, uh, the, 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 the teams that are supposed to be the wins, Northwestern, Nebraska, Penn State, are doing a really bad job of doing that uh, and are now like all feisty. Like this, like the Big Ten, I was very optimistic after I remember like, okay, this year it's going to be a little bit different with regards to the NCAA tournament. Like Purdue is obviously built um, with, uh, built more traditionally around a big, but like, you know, Illinois is built very differently and super, super skilled. Indiana even is maybe a little bit more, March upside e, um, you know you've got Maryland playing great. You got a lot of these like lottery tickets, and all of a sudden now it's like back to the usual Big Ten, like randomly losing games that shouldn't. Rock fight, rock fight, rock fight. Um, like who's the second best team in the Big Ten right now? It, it was healthy Indiana, but healthy Indiana does not exist anymore. Healthy Indiana um, doesn't exist. And, and, Illinois. And, and, I mean, I I want it to be Illinois. I think Illinois is really good. But like they've looked like a tire fire for you know two weeks. Um, yeah, and, and I've I've had these same thoughts because the the uh, Big Ten it, it came out of the gate so strong, right. and it punched the Big East in the mouth. And Illinois did did well in their um, MTE. Maryland dominated their MTE, and overall they 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 had a good Thanksgiving. And then I think we thought they were going to blow out the ACC in their challenge. And you know right. these are challenges. They they don't mean a ton. Um, but like things like Wake Forest winning at Wisconsin, I mean, you don't expect that stuff to happen. Um, is this, right, but like, who's like, is the second best team Ohio State? No, I I think gun to my head, Illinois figures it out and is the second best team. But I think like, you're probably right qualitatively. I mean, there was one point this year where we said, okay, Purdue number number one in the conference, Indiana and Illinois are top ten teams. Maryland's not too far behind. Wisconsin's top twenty. Like, oh, wow, you know. But Illinois Iowa, does already have two conference losses. Yeah. You know, is it Wisconsin? I really don't think it should be. But, you know, like the league, I, I mean, someone's going to have to win. So these win, like, that's the thing. It's now like, like, like the fate is set. All these games are going to be wins now that, like, all, all these games are going to be wins that, like, help you. Um, you know, all the, whoever's going to stack enough of them is going to an NCAA tournament. They might be bad, they might not be. But the Big Ten is feeling very Big Ten-y again. Um, outside of Purdue, and even Purdue, like, look, I think Purdue's good. But, like, do we really trust the team with two freshman guards built no. around a big to be, like, a March 
fire, you know, firestorm? I don't think so. Purdue's talent level is like shockingly low outside of like the best player in the country. Well, like, they're the most like, unstoppable force that that we've seen in some time, and they have great pieces around him, which we we saw with the Carson Edwards team. You know that got you to what the Elite Eight, and they lost. That to team Virginia. had championship potential, sure. Yeah, so it's there. Yeah. But like you mentioned, the the two freshmen, um, and then the other two guys running out that lineup are a glue guy and Ethan Morton, who's fine, and then a glue guy Mason Gillis, who's fine. So it's weird. Like, I, yeah, the Big Ten stock is, is low right now, but it might not matter. Because, again, no one's exactly running out to steal these bids, right? Ole Miss lost to North Alabama. Florida keeps putting up numbers in the metrics, um, but cannot finish a game to save its life. Um, you know, the, like, the only team that's, like, really asserting itself in the, S- in the SEC bubble-wise is Missouri. Are we buying Missouri right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we have to right now. I, I mean, you can, you can try to do the um, asterisk thing without Illinois in disarray, Kentucky's in disarray. It's not asterisk they, as much as it is, as much as it is like these. Both of these games said more about their opponent than they did about Missouri. No, but I, I mean, I, I think if the season ended today, they're they're like a five seed, they're like better. One more loss to yeah. Kansas. They got a, a a sneaky win at Central Florida, right? End of game win. Um, yeah, they, they did not deserve that win, but they got it. But and that's that's a difference, right? That's that's the difference between like Michigan and LSU, right? Is LSU played a million close games, won them all, um, and then gets gets Arkansas without Nick Smith, um, and Michigan's playing playing with fire just the same, and they, they ended up dropping one to Central Michigan. Yes. Right, it's it's all about it's all about the just survive and advance type thing. And Mizzou is Mizzou is now second in Ken Palm offense, which that's crazy, is insane. I um, mean, this is this is the mishmash transfer roster that like Paul, Paul Weir like dreamed about when he put his head on the pillow. You know, like he, that's such a good niche bit, and I love it so much. I mean, he, he on his New Mexico teams, he has assembled more talent than. Dennis Gates did, but I mean, it's the the one returner in Kobe Brown, and it is all these parts are just they're just fitting in, they're flying up and down. Um, it, it's a really surprising. I had I had Missouri as like a fringe NIT team in the preseason. Well, I think what's especially crazy about it is that Isaiah Mosley, who's like the the Got blue him. chip transfer, has gotten three DNPs in his last four games. He was he like a twenty point a- per game score, elite shooter, shot maker. He hasn't he scored like, a point since November. He was like the one sure thing. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, some of this is not sustainable stuff, right? Like Kobe Brown is shooting forty six percent from three. I, I mean, it, it's not it's not sustainable, but at the same time, the SEC and I guess college basketball in general, for the most part, doesn't have these like super scary teams. No, I agree. Like if you're if you're one of the three man weave guys, right? And and today you got Missouri at Auburn. Like you feel pretty good about that game. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, m- even like Missouri at Alabama. You might think that you're you're going to lose, but it's not insurmountable. The biggest thing for me is like I just don't like I 
I'm not. I just cannot be convinced that some of these, like, like they that Mizzou isn't like staring down a regression monster, because Kobe Brown is shooting 46% from three after shooting 21% from three last year. Demoy Hodge is shooting 42% from three and 71% from two after shooting 33% from three last year. Um, Nick Honor is shooting 45% from three. He shot 33% last year and never shot over 36 in his career. Right? Like, they're just like, I mean, they're shooting the cover off the ball right now. And, and again, they're turning you over and they're taking care of the ball and like that alone and playing really hard, like that alone is probably enough to make them like probably a tournament, like a, a tournament team, like steadily a tournament team at this point. Obviously that can change, but like right now they look pretty good in that regard as long as they don't screw up, but like, I'm just not, I'm not there yet. I'm like, Oh yeah. Rank Mizzou. They're so good. You know, yada, yada, yada. But there's, there's a lot of wins out there in the sec. Absolutely. A&M is a train wreck. Um, Vanderbilt is a train wreck. Uh, South Carolina is even worse. Georgia's not very good. Um, Ole Miss. Yeah. Very Ole Miss is not very good. Yeah, Ole Miss is fine. Ole Miss does not suck. But no, like, I, I, I think good. having having roughing out at, at, for for the start of the year really hurt them. Yeah. The I SEC would, though has t- a very soft bottom. I wouldn't totally write off Texas A&M though. I would. They not, stink. Not as like a tournament team, but as as like a team that could go ten and eight. You know, the old Frank right. But Martin. that's a huge issue. Like that's terrible for the league. You know what I mean? Right. But also, I, I mean, Florida's a team that's not been very good. Um, but if they do the ten and eight, that that could be good enough for a tournament bid. No, a hundred percent. Even like LSU, whose 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 metrics isn't you know metrics aren't very good based on. As we mentioned earlier, a lot of those close by games, but their resume is pretty clean, and a lot of you know there there is a bottom in the SEC, but there's also maybe eight or nine teams in there that can give you some equity with a win. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I didn't realize for LSU just how how well KJ Williams has been playing this year, um, and I guess it shouldn't be too surprising because their schedule wasn't very difficult, and he did. You know, dominate mid mid major basketball last year, uh, but we'll see if he can translate this to the SEC. But that's a that's a really interesting piece of the five. Um, from what I watched of the Arkansas, you know, the end of the Arkansas game yesterday, Jalen Reed looks like a really interesting prospect, super athletic four man with a lot of size. Derek Fountain made some plays, longtime favorite of ours. How about then, uh, how about a non con schedule ranked three hundred and forty sixth? I don't. I, I don't think non-con schedule actually matters though. It just mattered no, just that one year. It. Yeah. It just it, it just mattered that one year where they knocked off uh, Larry Brown SMU. Like has yeah. hasn't Rutgers been like really playing with fire recently with non-conference yeah. schedules? And they also TCU? whacked they whacked um, NC State the one year too. Oh yeah. So it it it, it can happen, but. Once you get yourself to like the eight or nine seed range, you're pretty much untouchable. Absolutely. Um, Missouri, Mizzou did beat Kentucky, um, and we need to talk about Kentucky because this was like the official sky is falling game in the eyes of 
um, Kentucky fans and kind of the national conversation, because again, you could explain, okay, they lost to Michigan state on neutral game. They should have won. They won. They lost to Gonzaga. They lost UCLA neutral, but they hadn't actually done anything that was like, Oh wow, this team is, this team stinks. Um, other than just not be as convincing as you'd want them to be against, you know, Florida A&M and Yale and, um, you know, Bellarmine and whatnot. They lose handily at Mizzou and all of a sudden, like, okay, five alarm fire. Sheboy was good in this game. Everybody else was not particularly good. Um, They had issues defensively. You know, the ceiling still feels very muted with Severe Wheeler at point guard. And they just don't look very talented, which is, I think, the biggest issue. Yeah, I, I mean, it really comes down to, and I think we touched on this a little bit last week, but Sevilla Wheeler's stats looks great, but his play doesn't really back it up. You know, he averaged like seven assists a game last year, but for whatever reason, the lack of shooting is really, uh, really rearing its ugly head. I mean, he, he's not the only starting point guard in the country who can't shoot, um, but when... Jacob Toppin doesn't make the jump, and Kentucky shooters have been limited, and they're playing a guy like Livingston at the three. It's it's all just kind of coalesced into um, they need shooting, and it probably should come from your point guard, and they need high-level point guard play. I mean, Wallace has been very good. Sheba is one of the best players in the country. Um but that's still light on talent for for a normal Kentucky. They don't they don't look dynamic in any way. And look, I and I think that they'll still win enough to make the tournament. Yeah, their tournament, mean, no question. If they the don't make the tournament, they'll be fired. Yeah, they they have the size and athleticism to match up with these kind of offensively challenged monster defense squads like Auburn and Florida. So, um, and again, like losing at Mizzou is like a pretty standard thing to have happen for like one of the better teams in the SEC, like lose to like a bubble team, right? Let's call Mizzou a bubble team. Maybe they're better than that, but like losing on the road in that game is like a pretty standard thing to do. The problem is like the expectations It's Kentucky, it's top five team. It's what they've been. It's what they are in preseason. Like, and the way they got way it happened is the, is obviously concerning as well, but they're going to be, they should be a tournament team. Right. If that if that if they can't clear that bar, there's like a hugely other different conversation. But I just think for me, and I, and I like like I I saw a nice like, kind of back and forth on Twitter where it's like you know ask you know Severe Wheeler is you know like they're like plus twenty five um per hundred possessions with Severe in offensively compared to with him off the floor. Um, I know people say oh you just get a case in the ball. I, I kind of agree with that. I don't know that there's like an actual solution there in practice because I don't think Reeves and Frederick and you know Livingston are really solving the problem. Um, I just think it's ironic and interesting. And I was texting somebody about this today. Think about this: like Cal was one of the first and most preeminent supporters of NIL. Right, like he was the guy. Like we got to take care of everybody. You know, this should be huge. This is gonna be huge. Like he was one of the first people to hire people, someone in house. The whole bang. So it's wildly. It, it's very interesting to me that their roster is built like a team that has no nil. How so? There, this is the least talented Kentucky roster in how long? 
I don't have a good enough knowledge off the top of my head, but probably the Olivier Saar. I think they're uh, I think they're clearly less talented than that team. No, because Oscar's way better. Okay, maybe, than Saar. maybe maybe talent, maybe athleticism certainly weren't you know nearly as athletic. Who, who was the foreman on that team? Do do we remember? Wasn't Isaiah Jackson? Okay. The nine and sixteen Kentucky team is what you're referring to, correct? Right. They had Brandon Boston, Terrence Clark, Davion Mintz. Mintz was a leading scorer. Well, I think yeah, this team Isaiah is definitely Jackson, more talented. But they had Isaiah Jackson. Um, you know, I don't think this team is any more, I mean, maybe Oscar makes the difference, but like, I don't think they're substantially more talented than that. They're certainly not. I don't know. Yeah, but if, if you're, it's one of the, this... it, it, it is one of the two least talented rosters of the Cal era. And it is the, coming at a the, time. The only when... other one would be the Netherlands Noel team, but. Yes. Um, but it, no, but it, one of the least talented teams, it's coming out, and, and it's built with these transfers who were very good transfers, but, like, let's not act like Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, and C.J. Frederick were, like, the best transfers in the mar- on the market. Cal got way too cute. And he even went, severe, like... Like, even Severe wasn't, like, the best player in the portal. He, he built this team... Like he was filling out an NBA roster in free agency. Like, oh, we need shooting. Let's go get CJ Frederick. Right. You know, Reeves Reed was at now. least a twenty-point scorer and was supposed to have more, more game on, on the ball than, than he's shown. Top of remember Reeves was, was the, the third, Antonio Reeves was the third best player in the portal from the Missouri Valley. Who Who are the two better guys? Isaiah Mosley and AJ Green, who didn't obviously wind up playing college basketball. Right, yeah. You know and what the, I mean? Like, the Toppin one was like an end of the bench flyer that just had like, happened to work out, right? Um, but not work out well enough, right? Yes. Kind of, kind of like the whole um, Derek Willis thing, right? Where like he was good enough to play, surprisingly, but not not good enough to be like a true impact player at Kentucky. Well, so so how different is this group of Shaden Sharp? Right, like how different is the narrative if this team could like bring Severe off the bench and play Shade in with Kaysen? Oh, I, I mean, they, they would probably be great. Sharp's been pretty good in the NBA, I think. He hasn't stunk. And that's as like a what, like a 19-year-old, 18-year-old? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, Cal, Cal got stuck where he went too young and too many one-and-done type guys, so then he tries to do transfers. But and he was doing a little too much uh, – roster hierarchy and when you, you do the roster hierarchy and you don't come out with a go-to score in your Kentucky then you've done something wrong you know right and again like I I think some of that is just the Shaden thing and I think Cal probably deserves some heat for not being smarter or at least more like self-aware that like that was going to happen yeah, but we we knew that pretty early though, right? That 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 wasn't something that dragged. Well, I mean, it wasn't known in like Met. It wasn't known in well. So so here's the thing. I think Cal on like December first or like January first, right? Right when he was first enrolling. I I think as soon as he enrolled early, you should have known like he's done. 
my my general rule would be as soon as Jonathan Gavoni tweets about you being eligible for the NBA draft, assume he's gone. You know. Yeah, but, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. This is that, well. There was like um, Leonard Miller who went to the G League yes. after that, but right. yeah, most of the time you're you're out the door. Right, and I think I think Cal probably placed a little bit too much like stock and like, oh no, he's gonna come, he's gonna come. And then when he did, it's like, okay, like the best we're doing is Antonio Reeves. Like, I, I, I guess here's my thing, right? Like, Kentucky's gonna be like the preeminent NIL NIL program. That was Cal's whole vision. Um, I know you say, oh, I'm not gonna get in bidding wars, whatever. But like, if there's two million out there for Oscar, is there not like 500k to like coax other guys into the portal? Or shit, like Shireman. It's definitely better to spread spread it around. But isn't spreading around what they basically did? I mean, I don't know money-wise, but, like, does it not feel like they have spread it around and don't have enough talent now? I mean, Anthony Leal from Indiana posted a video about how he paid off his yes. sister's student loans at NIL. I'm thinking, how much, how much NIL did every scholarship player at Indiana get? Yeah, Anthony, Anthony Leal has made more in NIL than he's made baskets in his Indiana career. Um, good for him, though. Well, I mean, I I would hope everyone makes more NIL than shots made. Oh, no, thousands. I was yeah. doing millions of thousands. thousands yeah. Shot, yeah. Shots made times 1,000. Times 1,000. Um, times 10,000 for him. I'm just, yeah. I, I'm not sure what to do with this Kentucky team where I, I don't want to overreact and be like, yeah, they stink. But they clearly don't have, like, a national title-ish ceiling. Right? That's the No, I... I I, I think if you put a gun to my head and said that you're pre- you're predicting the final top 25 poll, I think I still put Kentucky in. I think I would too. The fact that they have Oscar, they have an NBA guard in Wallace, and they have a lot of athleticism and experience. I I think clearly they're short on talent for a title contender, but I could easily see them being a six or seven seed, which is I agree, but that's just not nearly good enough at Kentucky is the problem. No. But the problem is like you can't fire him off of a six or seven seed. Right, because he also has some crazy buyout, right? He has a $46 million buyout. <laughs> and also, um, they do have, like, like, the crazy thing is, like, they do have the elite talent coming. Like, 2023, their class is loaded. Bradshaw, Reed Shepard, uh, Dillingham, DJ Wagner, um, Justin, Justin monster class. So they're going back to one and done. Just It's just weird. Like, is he going to, like, I just don't know where it's going and it's it's rather rather uncomfortable. Like like honestly, like I, here 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 here's a question for you, Brad. This is a great fun hypothetical. It was actually floated to me by someone um, in college basketball, um, and I was like, fu- like shut up. But like after thinking about it now, after this game, I think it's kind of real, or not not even real as much as like this. Like seems like it would make sense because he this person isn't in position to know necessarily. What happens if Texas fires Chris Beard and Cal flirts with Texas? Um, would he do it? Like, what does he do it to like? Because I, I think it'd be a mistake, be, not not taking it but flirting. Because I think you worry, like, you you risk Kentucky fans just being like, all right, then leave. Like seriously, we want you to leave. Right, because he already flirted with UCLA, right? Right, you don't want to make it worse. You don't want to piss off the boosters. If I'm Cal at this point, 
I'm, I'm grabbing the parachute. And the Texas thing gave me pause because my whole parachute thinking with Calipari was like St. John's or like Washington, you know, but you can't do that, Brad. I mean, he's still one of the best coaches in the country. Right. right. That would, that would just be like, this is such a pain with all these stupid fans. I, I'm going to go somewhere where I'm appreciated. Um, but Texas should have enough money where he could leave Kentucky and still be compensated similar to, similar to what he is at Kentucky. I, I don't know how much he makes, but let's say he makes like the 8 million or whatever. Like St. John's can't pay him 8 million. I wouldn't think, but like Texas could. So that could be a nice fresh start. Calipari. It would be interesting. But I, I think the bigger issue, right, is the fans want Calipari gone because of this nonsense. Who do they want to replace him with? Right, that's the problem. Like, what happens when they hire Chris Holtman? Yeah. Good coach, but is he a better coach than Calipari? That's a drop-off. Yeah, I mean, I think Holtman is a better, like, X's and O's coach. And he's recruited so well at Ohio State, especially recently. Right, he'd recruit the best players in Kentucky. It could work. How, they they would be pissed that he – I think he made one Sweet 16 at Butler, right. and that's it, He hasn't right? done enough in the tournament. Yeah. They'd be furious. Um, last thought on Kentucky. New Year's Eve, home, Louisville. Uh, can, can, they please, can they please lose that game? I mean, that, that, that would be the quickest anyone has ever typed into their phone to go to a message board. That would be like, I, I think it would be the funniest thing that's ever happened in college basketball. Their, their, their message board would crash. There'd be so much activity. <laughs> like, here's, here, yeah, here's, here's the real, here, here's the real question over under, um, Three and a half minutes after the result for a Kentucky fan to suggest that they need to hire Kenny Payne. No, I don't. I don't think anyone would do that. I think someone would. They're already into the, the because Louisville fans in the preseason were saying like Kenny Payne won those games. Like yes. give give Payne credit for all of Calipari's success. Then they changed it. Either Louisville fans or Kentucky fans or new. Neutral parties changed it to Kenny Payne lost those games, <laughs> which which I found funny. Um, I I don't think even if Louisville was three and ten with a win over Kentucky that anyone would be saying to actually hire Kenny Payne. Oh man, it would be I I, I will say I will, I will be Louisville's biggest fan on the Saturday on what is it Saturday? I think it'd be. One of the funniest things, again, that's literally ever happened in the history of college basketball. Um, where's your next, Brad? Anything, anything pressing you want to hit on? I know we've hit Big East heavily, Big Ten heavily, um, SEC heavily. The uh, Florida, Florida Auburn game oh, made my eyes burn. Um, I mean, Auburn is not a pretty watch. No, and they and they and, played like eleven, like 10, 10, 11 dudes. They're huge. They're athletic. Um, what? Wendell Green and Katie Johnson both had a Wendell Green and Katie Johnson moment. And then they both had a really nice play down the stretch. Um, including, I believe, Wendell Green had the steal on Castleton to end it. Um, but yeah, they, they have so much depth. Auburn does. I think top-end talent is a concern. Um, but with that defense, they're probably like a 
seven-ish seed, six-ish seed, you think? They strike me as like an eight seed. What, what would be your ideal eight-nine matchup in the NSA tournament? Oh, God. I like don't even know. Kentucky and UNC? If a UNC slips UNC a little? UNC will be better than that. UNC will be better. Kentucky, Kentucky being in it would be really funny, though. What about Kentucky, Indiana? Eight-nine game. Yeah. That, that could work. definitely happen. When uh, yep. Kentucky was an eight seed last, do you remember who they played in the first round? I know in the second round they beat one seed Wichita State. Hmm. I believe that was 2014. Let me. Uh... That definitely was the last time that they were an eight seed, though. That was the James Young team. 2014 NCAA tournament. Yeah, that was um, it. James Young and the Harrisons, right? Yes. I do not remember who they played. Who did they All play, right, Brad? I'm scrolling right now. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. They played Kansas State. Oh. That was Marcus Foster. That was freshman Marcus Foster, freshman Wessa Wundu. That's an interesting group. At, as I was scrolling, I, I saw a Memphis-George Washington 8-9 game of Josh Kastner versus um, oh, the guy who got fired. Yeah, Lonergan, yeah. I remember St. Joe's played, I think, Cincinnati in an 8-9 game that was, like, very electric in, like, 20, probably 14, 15, like DeAndre Bembry season. Right, they put Oregon in the second round, I think. Yes, it was a great game. It, it is crazy, like, how, how quickly you, you can just fall off the planet. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, almost every A-10 team and every Mount West team outside of uh, – San Diego State has experienced it recently. I, I guess the uh, U- Utah State success has been, has been recent. Um, but, like, New Mexico was a three-seed one year. New Mexico is, like, legit, legit now. I was I was kind of skeptical still. But, like, they're, they just – I mean, Colorado State was super banged up. They were out without their three best perimeter defenders. Uh, Tavy Jackson, Jalen Lake, and uh, who's the third? Um, Strong. Yeah, Josiah Strong, which meant they basically had like two ball handlers and nobody to guard Jalen House or Jamal Mashburn. But they, they blew the doors off them. They've been like, bl- they've been blowing doors off by games lately. They beat I- Iona. They just need to not peak too early. But like they they should get through. This is like the easiest road trip they'll have in that much play. They play Wyoming and Fresno. Those teams are both very bad. Um, then they get home UNLV, home Oral Roberts, um, then into road San Diego State on January 14th. I'm thinking I, I'm I'm gonna try to go to the pit. I don't know when. Maybe like Boise on Friday the 20th. But I I, I think I need to go to the pit because that place looked bananas. Gonna fly Southwest again? I I think I will. Yeah, I have a lot of points. I have tons of miles. Do you get gotta, refunded your points if they do wacky stuff with the stewardesses or, or whatever they're doing? If it gets can- if a flight gets canceled, you get the points back. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not really an issue. Yeah, I I had seen that the whole Southwest thing originated from they had like uh they they don't track the flight attendants. Yes. They just assume that when the plane lands, the flight attendants in that city. But so many flights got canceled that they forgot where all the flight attendants were. Yes. 
which is pretty that fun. Seemed, yeah, they, they basically just needed like a hard reset. Of like, okay, yeah. we figure out where everyone is and restart. But yeah, I, I will be continuing to fly Southwest. I'm, I'm a loyal customer. <laughs> I, have a, I have a Southwest credit card, so that's a big deal. Wow. We'll yeah, see if there's still a company in a couple weeks. Love the miles. Love the miles. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I want to go to I want to go to the pit. The pit looks incredible. Um, shout out to Richard Pitino. It is wild. And again, like we've talked about the Minnesota search that hired Ben Johnson regularly on this podcast. I don't really feel like rehashing kind of the, the things that got them to that point. And I, I also think it's important. And I was texting someone in college basketball this about this as well. Like process does not equal results, right? Like yes, saying you should have fired, fired Richard Pitino because you were under 500 two years in a row. Um, like you, you shouldn't you shouldn't look back and say, oh well, they hired Ben Johnson, so firing Rich Pitino was a mistake. Uh, I do think it's worth like noting, like yeah, like you fired someone who is a competent Big Ten coach, um, and you then hired a Big East assistant um, from a bad staff, from from a, a staff that ended up getting fired. But yes, yeah, the Travis Steele coaching tree. Who could have seen this coming? I want I want Ben Johnson to win because he's a very nice man. But man, oh man, this is bad. So, but meanwhile, Richard is like killing it. I am like somewhat not totally sure what the upside is with uh, what the long term looks like for them. I know like they love the kid um, Donovan Dent, um, who's a freshman. He's been really really good uh, for New Mexico. But like House is in his fourth year of college. Um, so that's not ideal, right? Like House Udeze is a COVID year senior. House is in year four of college. Um, you know, Mashburn's in year three. So they could they could sustain some pretty heavy losses to this group. And I don't know how it's gonna be replaced because they kind of hit struck struck lightning, but they have some NIL because they used it to get Udeze. And you would imagine that the NIL will improve with the team winning. The question is, can like Richard get another job? I mean, let's put, let's, let's not put the cart before the horse here. He hasn't even gone, gone half a successful season. I agree. That's fair. But no, like, like, okay, so how about this? If, if New Mexico is like 26 and 8, right? Which is like a very realistic result at this point. And then they're like a 9 seed or something. I mean, they could be a little bit better than that, but sure. Like they're a 7 or, let's say they're a 7 seed. Okay. Like what job can Richard Pitino get? Um, let's see. Nebraska, no. Cal? Mm-hmm. Does would he want he Cal? <laughs> I would not leave for Cal from New Mexico. No. Arizona um, State, but that might not open at this point. Like he's not going to get Washington. Would you, Would you rather have Richard Pitino over Nico Medved, Brian Dutcher, and uh, Linder? I wouldn't, but Richard Pitino has been a high major coach, and his last name is Pitino. That is true. Um, and no, I don't know. It's 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 really really interesting. I. I just it's it's hard to believe that this is Richard's last stop, but he's also not like geographically like a logical fit anywhere. Oh, what about I'd rather Clemson? hire his dad than him, you know? What, what, what about Clemson? I think that's a solid 
spot. That's that's the level. That's the level. I don't know that it's the job, but it's the level. Richard Pitino, a Providence grad. How about that? How about that, that, that yeah, when Ed Cooley leaves for Georgetown, you can hire Richard Pitino. Let's do it. I'm sorry to put that into the air. You and you and Jeff Goodman. <laughs> Could you imagine if like Providence goes like 14 and six in the Big East this year? And Georgetown goes like one nineteen, and Cooley's like, you know what? Let's tear it down. Do do a rebuild at Georgetown. We're we're podcasting through Georgetown to Paul, which is the game of the year, college basketball. Um, might be the return game when it's to Paul at Georgetown. It is incredibly entertaining that uh, Paul's game against. Uh, Paul's game against Creighton on Christmas Day is like the most watched college basketball game this season. That 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 tells you all you need to know about ratings and why like AMC used to always try to put their new show like after Breaking Bad or like The Walking Dead, you know, just like people already have the station turned to that station, are already have the dots turned on that station, and they are likely to just leave it on. That was one of the least entertaining basketball games I've ever watched. I Nothing was only happened. able to watch the last six minutes because I was having Christmas dinner. Oh, uh, how dare yeah, it was just Creighton was at arm's length the whole game. Right. They pulled the they they immediately were up like fifteen, and then it was just between like eleven and nineteen the entire game. And DePaul does have your and I back, uh, but no Ungenda yet. Yes, and no Caleb Murphy stuff. That one feels weird. We have a few of those injuries, like the day-to-day, but it's been like the whole year. The day-to-day when it's the whole year, when it's like an NBA guy. Like when it's Nick Smith, and I'm like, okay, it's load management, whatever. Like there's, you know, like his agent's telling him not to play. Like is Caleb Murphy's agent telling him not to play? We also had day-to-day stuff with Eugene Brown, but I guess he was back today. One of them really, one of like one of the worst players in college basketball, Deshaun Nelson. He I've watched a one game and he wasn't bad. He's a train wreck and a half. Well, he, at least when Anai was out, he was playing the five, which he right. he's no, no, five. no, he just doesn't look like he knows the plays out there. You know, he's a he's a previous era power forward. Yes, agree. Kind of like Lance Ware, like these he's guys. Not, no, he's are, a, he, I know what he is. He's Walmart Brandon Johnson. Yes, he is. Those those four men that. They used to be four men, and they, they, they just shot, like, 15-foot jumpers all day. Yes. Um, in, like, the aughts, like your Kevin Garnett and LaMarcus Aldridge and Tim Duncan. Um, but now they, like, don't shoot threes. They can't dribble. Um, they're, like, good rebounders, but it's kind of like, what what's the point of this guy, especially at the four? It, 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 it's funny. We didn't we didn't touch on this with, with Kentucky, but... Um, one of my big message board truisms that like you see on every message board, especially in the preseason, is a lot of people, on no matter what the team, are like, we need to start the backup center at power forward. <laughs> this has to happen. It has to happen right now. It's um, so true. It's we need so more true. size. We need more physicality. So the guy who's clearly the backup center needs to start at the four. Uh, <laughs> and our four... That's the start of the three. Um, 
and Louisville basically tried that, right, with starting Lance Ware and Oscar Sheway, and it was such a disaster. Because uh, when I had texted you earlier, because Butler started Jalen Thomas today next to Manny Bates, um, I said, this, this is like the, the, the dream of every message board. And you're like, well, not not for Kentucky. And I said, because well, they, they've seen what it looks like. Every, every fan loves it until they get a, uh, a, a, a glimpse of it. And it's like, oh, geez, why does this guy even have a scholarship? Yeah, I think most people need to start realizing that, like, the backup center is usually not that. Like, there are very few Donovan Flingens. Even Klingon hasn't looked the same recently. No. He 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 gets a lot of blocks because uh, he has good timing and he's huge. But, like, he, he misses some, some pretty easy ones on the rim. He's a worse version of freshman year Zach Eadie. He might be as good as freshman year Zach Eadie. I feel like freshman year Zach Eadie was pretty good, but I guess so is Klingon. Yeah. What, what did freshman year Zach Eadie do statistically? I remember being a little Zach skeptical. Was, okay, freshman year Zach Eadie was only nine points and four rebounds on 60% shooting. So maybe he is just freshman year Zach Eadie. Yeah. But he's like, definitely not as good as Sunogo, though. All the like, oh, he's a first round pick conversation seem a bit much. UConn fans are all in. I mean, um, the guy, Russ Steinberg, did a mailbag with uh, CBS, uh, Gary Parrish and Norlander, of like, if, if if the eight best big men in college basketball were on one team, what would their record be in the Big East? And he included Klingon in there. And I was like, come on, come on. <laughs> but then also, in a UConn fan's defense, I, I was listening to one pod and they were naming... I don't even remember the pod because I've been just churning out college basketball content recently. The, the the better that Providence plays, the more college basketball content I consume. Uh, but the guy was was rattling off like the best bigs in college basketball to show how many good bigs there were and didn't even mention Sonogo. Oh, yeah, come on. What are we doing here? Um, anyway, I don't I don't remember where we were. I don't either. Um. um do you have any thoughts? Um, do you have anything big you want to hit on before we wrap this thing up? I don't have anything crazy. I feel like the uh, Pac-12 has been very quiet in the last week we've spoken. Well, yeah, because they they were playing some some conference games and then some bye games, right? And did you did you watch any Diamond Head? I watched a little of Utah State, Washington State, um, and I watched some. Maybe that was it. I'm glad uh, that we can finally stop doing um, Iona at-large conversations. They'll probably come back, but... Even the Utah State now has two bad losses. And... Yeah. Iona has fewer Q, Q1 and Q2 wins than Siena. But we're not ready for that conversation. It's because Siena had a bad loss to Georgetown. Yeah, that's the killer. I think no, Army yeah, the, is the real... The, the Pac-12 was quiet because... Utah and Arizona State had all this momentum, and and, and Oregon had a great T-rank number, you know, great a- analytics because th- they had a lot of losses, but they had at one point lost to the top three teams in T-rank, UCLA, Houston, UConn, uh, when I checked that. I think UConn's down to four now. Um, but then Oregon goes out and loses to Utah Valley, who was a good team, but they lost a home game to them. Uh, they, they also lost one early to Irvine. And then you got Utah. That gets all the momentum from knocking off 
Arizona. But now their loss to Mississippi State doesn't look quite as good, and then they just lost to BYU, and and then TCU as well. So they're they're very bubbly right now, hanging on with that Arizona win. Uh, and, and their and their talent level it, it isn't super high either. I mean that's an NIT team talent one. Um, and then Arizona State had all this momentum, but they they got the Creighton win without Calcbrenner. The Michigan win doesn't look so high anymore. And then and and I, I watched the first 15 minutes of this game. They got absolutely annihilated against San Francisco. <laughs> that game was <laughs> unbelievable. It was like a standalone game, job, John Rothstein, or, or, or at least close to it. I fired up CBS Sports Network, and it was just an absolute beatdown from the minute it started. Now, no Desmond Cambridge, who's probably their best player. And that absolutely killed Creighton with, like, five threes. Um, but, I mean, that was in, inexplicable against, like, a borderline top 100 team. The best part was Bobby Hurley deciding to start full-core pressing when they went down, like, 40 with, like, five minutes to go. And then within a minute getting ejected. <laughs> that was just like the most clown behavior I'd seen in quite, quite some time. And like, really, dude? You're really doing this? And it really does come back to the scheduling. Like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, people want to complain about scheduling instead of how teams play. Listen, I, I get that, but at the same time, if you're going to schedule a game, there's there's got to be like a positive outcome from it, like, like, like a potential positive outcome. But, like, if Arizona State beats San Francisco, okay, it was, like, a road quadrant two, no one cares. They lose to San Francisco and lose by 40 points, it's pretty embarrassing. I just think the thing that a lot of these Pac-12 teams are doing, like, a lot, like, I, it, it, anecdotally, Pac-12 teams give out more home-and-homes um, because they just want to buy as many teams because, the, I don't like, their fan bases are more fickle. You know, they're not like coming out like who who at Arizona State is like turning out for San Francisco by, by getting bought, you know? Right. And last year there was a Q1 game for them. Oh, I guess I guess if they made the home and home, it's it's all they've played this multiple years. Okay. So. But Arizona State, they were supposed to be good last year and they weren't, right? Correct. It was all that early season half court buzzer beater that doomed them. Oh yeah, the UC uh, UC Riverside like three quarter court JP Mormon. Right. That that was the uh, that was a harbinger of what was to come there. Yeah. AS, ASU really needs a uh, as I just completely drop my phone off my lap. Apologies if you heard that blast in the podcast. Um, a, ASU has done what it needs to do so far. But they really need to hope that the Creighton win ages nicely. It'll it'll age in the sense that Creighton is good. I don't know what their net's going to end up being like. Um, right. But, I mean, that Arizona State team is is very susceptible. You know, we just went through um, the whole middle tier of, of the Pac-12, right, where unless Arizona or UCLA is giving out equity – yeah. Uh, quality is going to be tough to come by, and these Colorado, Stanford, Washington State, you know, these teams aren't that bad. They they have enough talent to muck it up, especially for Utah and Arizona State, um, and and Oregon can muck it up too. So, um, kind of crazy though that we were we were so convinced, as I'm sure the rest of the world was, that Oregon State would would 
coming last year. There's there's a second Oregon State down there at the bottom with Cal. Um, yeah, that's that's as good a summary as I've got for the uh, Pac-12. It's kind of a weird spot right now. Um, I just think the problem is that like those there's not enough of a gap between obviously Cal or Cal and Oregon State are disastrous. Actually, but yeah, not you, of a USC gap. might be okay too. Yeah, they've they been much the better lately. That. Much better lately. Still making up ground from some by game struggles, but they're much they're they're much improved. Um, the problem is that there's not a huge gap between Utah, USC, Arizona State, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Stanford, like talent wise, and so there's just going to be too much too too much parity. You know, they're gonna some of these teams just need to claim the wins. Absolutely. But anyway, anything else you want to hit on this podcast, Brad? Uh, t- tomorrow, Friday afternoon, we have a really nice afternoon slate of ACC games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got UNC and Pitt. We got um, Miami and... Are you buying Pitt? I haven't really seen them. I think I saw them once. I saw them against Northwestern, which they looked like a world beater. I think I saw them against Michigan. And they looked um, really bad in that game. So I, I really want to get another look at Pitt. And then NC State, I think, is playing a game at four. I want to get a look at them, too. But a yeah, nice, nice ACC afternoon slate. Yeah, Pitt, Pitt is low-key uh, 2-0 in the league. Two road wins, nonetheless. Huge, huge stretch coming up. Three straight home games. North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson. Then three straight road games, Duke, Georgia Tech, Louisville. Got to go at least three and three. Agreed, yeah. Do that? The Jeff Capel uh, apology tour might have to begin. And Dior Johnson's sticking around. He's going to redshirt. Who would have thought? I guess we'll see if he sticks around past this year, but for now. He's hanging in. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to be portals. Yeah. Yeah, the ACC. Yeah, it's time. The ACC is in a weird spot where now that Virginia has fully regressed back to like good, not great. The whole league is just like okay. Well, Wake Forest has some good wins. Yeah. NCC's Wake pretty good. Last I think. year was its lack of good wins, but good metrics. This year it has. Bad metrics, but good wins. They, they actually have a lot of teams that could make the tournament. You know, like seven or eight teams that could make the tournament. It's just that yeah, that so bottom yeah. is gross, and, and the top isn't isn't crazy. You know, there's yeah, not yeah, a top these, ten team in the league. The, the, the bids have to come from somewhere. Absolutely. Someone's got to – someone. There, there's got to. There's going to be sixty-eight teams in the tournament, and only thirty-two of them are auto bids. And only one of them's from the A10. <laughs> yes, the A10 stinks. That's a good way to wrap up the podcast, right, Brad? A10 yeah. stinks. Goodbye. All right, folks. See you next week. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the hoops. Enjoy uh, the new year. Um, hopefully, twenty twenty three brings us some some more great college hoops. It's been fun.